Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. I'm pumped to welcome to the show today, Eugene Bomba, Chief Financial Officer at ThoughtWire, an Internet of Things platform that makes the world we live and work in smarter and more connected. Prior to joining ThoughtWire, Eugene was a partner and the Canadian leader of PwC's Merging Company Services practice, where he focused on early stage and high growth companies. And before PwC, Eugene was the CFO at HealthScreen Solutions Inc., an early stage technology company that was listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Eugene has been a major influencer in the Canadian startup ecosystem, from speaking engagements at various technology events to mentorship positions at several Toronto-based accelerators and incubators. Well, that's enough for me. Let's hear from the man himself, Eugene Bomba, CFO at ThoughtWire. Good morning, Eugene. Thanks a lot for coming on to The Backbone and doing this chat with us. Really appreciate it. So, you know, you've been involved in the startup ecosystem for a long time now, both as an operator and an advisor. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how it all started for you. Sure. And uh, thanks for having me. Started for me probably back in 2007, 2008 timeframe. So I... I had left uh, PwC and joined a, uh, a tech startup called Medical Telecom, which uh, then ended up doing a a merger with a public entity called uh, Health Screen Solutions. So, you know, kind of jumped right into the fire on on that and started getting involved. But the ecosystem back in you know call it 2008 wasn't mm-hmm. anywhere near where where it is today. Um, but started to get some uh, some good introductions to people around the space, and you know now becoming the CFO of a public company, things were pretty intense. So you start talking to a lot of people, whether it's lawyers or bankers, and so sure. on. Um, and uh, when the run was over, and the you know the company was doing really well, and then um, uh, the ride kind of imploded, uh, and ended up back at PwC running their emerging tech practice. Um, you just start talking to every single VC, but you know, I've really been able to see how the ecosystems changed, you know, even over just the last ten years. So, when you were, I guess, first at PwC, and then you had chose to uh, Health Screen, how was that transition for you? And jumping into the hot seat as a CFO of a public company, what was that kind of transition like? It's like losing Santa Claus right away, or, or <laughs> whatever you want to say. It's uh, 
you're, no matter what experience you have at a at a accounting firm, whether it's a small firm, a mid-sized or a big firm, there is nothing that prepares you for jumping into the hot seat in a, in a startup. It's like school, really, the way the work is at the firms or when you're in university. You just learn how to kind of take it and how to deal with, mm-hmm. with the situation. And, you know, you just try to learn quickly and, and not make the same mistakes twice. But uh, it is like drinking water out of a fire hose when you first go in, in industry and trying to sort out because it's just so different than what you expect. Right, right. And then when you moved back and started leading PwC's uh, emerging companies group, how was that like coming back now to the firm and dealing with startups and uh, emerging companies from an advisor perspective at that point? Yeah, you know, I would say initially my hesitation was I wasn't really sure I even wanted to stay in the space. You know, you're kind of jaded after the first experience in industry. You're kind of needing a, a timeout from, from it all. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, your network sort of sucks you back in and you can't help yourself and, you know, the passion for tech will always just draw you back. But um, the biggest difference is, you know, when you're when you're an advisor to a company, uh, you care a lot about the issues that, that, your, that your clients have as a result, but at the same time, you don't have to live with it. So, right. um, you know, when you're dealing with a cash flow crunch or, you know, the, the company... Uh, rest on the shoulders of, of this one deal going through or, you know, chasing a partnership deal and trying to make a, you know, trying to get a partner to actually do something or chasing the sale. Like, all those things are stuff that you'll lose sleep over at all times when you're in industry as an advisor. Uh, it's just not your ultimate problem. You can do your best to help mm-hmm. put people in a position to really make them better um, or provide other opportunities, but the real stresses that come with the being on the on the flip side just aren't there as an advisor. Right. And so now you're back uh, back at a CFO gig at Thoughtwire. So first of all, tell me a little bit about Thoughtwire. What is what is it? What do you do uh, at Thoughtwire as a company? Yeah. So so Thoughtwire is uh, is really focused on trying to make work simpler, make workplaces safer, and make customer experiences better. Uh, by leveraging uh, the full power of IoT and, and people. Really focused on healthcare and smart buildings today, but starting to get into more infrastructure type environments, so transportation and water, wastewater, and so on. But really the premise is um, on the platform that uh, has been developed, it's, uh, it's all been based on semantic web principles, so it has the ability to integrate into pretty much anything application-wise and, and, and device-wise. So the platform that has this awesome ability to sense what's going on across all the different silos, um, there's a component of machine reasoning involved with it. Okay. So um, almost like an if this then that for a regulated complex industry. Right. From these complex problem sets, and then act according to the information and the, and the changes of state that are happening, and as a result. So you know it gets pretty cool to to kind of. Think of an example where, you know, we always give like a really crazy example with like a baby abduction happening at a, at a hospital. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you go into the real severe example, but, uh, you know, baby abduction is a thing. And, you know, usually when, when people go in there, they'll go into the maternity wards, uh, babies will have an RFID bracelet on their ankle, for example, and the mother mm-hmm. has a matching one on her wrist. So she can leave the maternity ward with the baby, um, or nurses in that ward 
uh, have RFID that will say if they are with that baby, then they can leave the ward. But anybody else, the alarm kind of goes off. Right. But that, you know, alarm going off and maybe locking the doors behind them is the extent today of like the most advanced solution. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really solve the problem. So where, you know, where ThoughtWire kind of can come into play in that situation is lock the nearest set of stairs, uh, put the elevator on bypass just for that particular floor so everybody else is just kind of business as usual, send notifications directly to the staff. So let's say it's nurses, doctors, or whoever would be responding to it, but also having a preset number of how many people you need responding so it's not an all-or-nothing response. Hmm. Uh, taking over the closed-circuit TVs and pointing them to the area so that you can start recording if you need evidence. Uh, or also snapping a picture of the person to send it to the phones of the people who are responding so that they know what the person looks like who has it. Um, and changing, you know, the wayfinding signs into Amber Alert, like all that stuff happening in a millisecond. So, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's really the full power of what's, uh, of what's available from an IoT perspective in managing a workflow so that you're getting the right kind of response Mm-hmm. people associated with those kind of jobs got it so is thoughtwire just um running the software component of it or uh you guys are also doing the iot like the physical i guess rfid um components and yeah, stuff no, like that we're completely just software and, and completely agnostic to whatever people are using in their own environment so um you know whether it's rfid whether you're doing triangulation with phones and g and gps like there's a ton of ways that we can get information mm-hmm. but uh, we are entirely a software team. cool and so um i gotta ask you how's it uh, like being back in the cfo seat you know, this time, you know, eyes wide open going into yeah. it versus the surprises that were coming in from before. Um, but no matter what, it still never goes quite as it seems it will. Uh, you know, uh, managing operations is still uh, good days, bad days. Some days are, are, you know, you ride the highs, other days you ride the lows. But it's been it's been awesome to kind of build on something and, and try to push uh Push something that really matters uh, to a to a different level, I think, and that's the part where when you're an advisor, you know, you you don't get the you don't get the the lows of the lows as an advisor, but you don't also get the highs of the highs when you you know can really like get that deal done that you've been pushing pushing for and, and trying to make you know right. the Fortune 100 company come to you as a partner and you know and sign up and start you know bringing in business and doing all kinds of cool stuff. You just don't get that kind of active participation as an advisor user. So it you know, depends what kind of crazy life you want. If you want the upper <laughs> or you want the midlife, that's kind of the the, the way I would look at it. Yeah, yeah. So so you touched on a lot of these um, already, but what would you say is kind of the biggest difference between being an advisor for tech startups to now being the finance leader of a fast growth tech company? So, you know, you mentioned some of the things like as an advisor, you're just you're you're not really in the highs and the uh, highs of the highs or, or really in the lows. But like, is that the main difference or are there any specific um, examples that you can draw to uh, between you know being in there as a finance leader versus on the other side as an advisor. Yeah, like I think you know there's a as an advisor you know when you start thinking about some of the real core functions as a as as leading a finance function when you go into an early stage company. So you know you're going to be doing finance, but you're also doing operations. So HR is going to mm-hmm. fall play for sure. Um, leasing and rent and, and all that kind of stuff will fall into your play. Uh, and then depending on how large the team is or what they're going to have you involved in, you may be touching some customer success, you may be touching some marketing, you may be touching 
some some corp dev and sales. Like it really becomes a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. There's been so many blog posts and things about the difference between like a CFO and a COO, and at an early stage, it's kind of really hard to to differentiate. So I think you know a lot of the CFOs kind of end up taking on that COO title without the COO title. <laughs> But, um, and, you know, that's partially why you also take those kind of roles. So I think, you know, as an advisor, you're not touching an HR issue like you are in, in, in a finance function and, you know, deciding what the right kind of way is to uh, hire somebody or, you know, when to terminate or what to do about benefits and, you know, health spending accounts and perks and culture and all that kind of stuff. You just, you know, you're not living it and breathing it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you know you can offer advice as an advisor, uh, and maybe on your own team, you know, like you know, with you guys, how you guys are advising a bunch of companies, like your own team, you worry about your HR and your culture and stuff like that. But it's not going to be quite the same of how you can you know drive a larger organization, right? Uh, right. So that becomes something uh, financing. Same idea, like you know, you guys helping companies on the financing side, you get pretty involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for them, you know, they're the ones having to go and do like the real heavy lift on making sure they have all the information, making sure that the house is clean so that they can get yeah. the really properly. Yeah. So it just becomes like you get really deep, so it's hard to stay 30,000 feet above as an advisor, but when you know, yeah. you've got to get really into the weed as, a, as an operator, and then it just gets hard sometimes because you got to put your head down a lot, so it's hard to get mm-hmm. back up on the 30,000 uh, feet above when you're when you're an operator because there's just too many things that has you in the uh, and you know in the, inside the trees yeah yeah and uh it's funny a common theme that has kind of emerged um as you know we've um chatted with guests on on this is finance and operations tends to be blended together especially at uh, uh you know emerging kind of tech companies uh, as as they grow uh so again it seems like that theme continues uh with your role at at Thoughtwire. So, you know, now it's been about 3 years since Thoughtwire has has raised funding. And so drawing from your past gigs at HealthScreen and and your work at PwC advising startups, what are some considerations you make when deciding whether to raise capital or not? You know, I think you want to make sure that you have a good sense on timing of your cash flows overall. So we, you know, we track when we think cash flow is coming in, we know when cash flow is going out. Uh, we take a look at what the runway is. Um, practically speaking, you know, eighteen months of, of cash is is nice to have. It's not always possible, but mm-hmm. you want to try to give yourself enough runway in case you know revenue for whatever reason falls off. Um, so, at the very least, you got to give yourself like a six month a six month runway. At the you know the worst case scenario, if you're going to go out to raise more cash. Um, right. Or, you know, or the idea of being opportunistic. And, you know, so sometimes if, you know, I think in Canada, we have a general tendency to wait a little bit too long sometimes mm-hmm. to raise the money because we're worried about the dilution or we want to get a little bit more in terms of proof points. And that might be as yeah. functional as the VC landscape here. But there is a, when you're, when you're rolling or when you're starting to see the the chips fall into the, it, you need to be able to, to also be opportunistic and, and say, you know, who's the right time to right. partner and when's the right time to go. And I think that's that's a really critical decision point, more so than just, you know, watching when you really need the cash. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's one aspect where it's like uh, just cash flow management and making sure you've got enough uh, runway to, to keep on going. But the other side, which you brought up, is like deciding when to double down and really put gas on the fire yeah. um, and, and really start growing. Right. So on, on that side, like the cash flow management side is, uh, I think, a little bit easier to grasp because, you know, you're checking your bank account versus what's coming in and, and how that's going to look for the next couple of months. But then when is it like what are some i guess signals to know that okay this thing is working let's kind of double down on this and and raise some funds and and really blow this up into something bigger yeah so i think you know the when you start to think that you've really hit product market fit mm-hmm. um, i think is one area when you need to make sure that at least you know if you got that then get your series a round in from there you know a lot of times guys raise you know a low low a round or a c plus round and then mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's a long way to get to a B round potentially. In, in certain cases, you kind of end up in a, in a tweener in between state. Um, yeah. That's the one where I feel like it's the, the hard thing of figuring out what to do. So you start to see some wins. I think you need to talk to analysts in the industry. So, you know, like we stay, uh, we stay in touch with a lot of the VCs. We stay in touch with a lot of the analysts like Gardner and Advisory Company and Forrester and all those guys as well. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, we can do our own competitive analysis, um, but people are also talking to a lot more people than we are. So they'll always have other opinions of companies that kind of come out of the woodwork and, you know, might sound like you or competitors who are kind of taking your talk track without actually doing what they, what you do, but making it sound like they do. That's, right. That to me is when you start like running into the risk where you're like, you know what, um, maybe it's a little bit early than where we wanted to be raising the next round. But when you start to see, you know, some wins are trickling in and you're starting and you feel like you're getting the message right, um, that's the time to me where you just, even if it's not the pure Series B where it's like, you know, I can hire 10 salespeople because here's how the metrics are going to work because mm-hmm. then I know I can generate X. Sometimes you end up in an in-between state and it's like you just got to figure out who the right partner is and maybe, maybe it's a follow-on, but... You have to to not let anybody else come in. It's kind of like when you're playing poker, right? And it's like small bets and you know just 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 checking and, and, and getting in, yeah. and then you let people hanging around to see what the next card is on the uh, on the river or whatever it is. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you you know, if you had bet a little bit heavier earlier on, you probably could have got out some of the people who had a weaker hand, and you know, you let them stick around, and now right. you know, <laughs> something changes, and then you you know you kind of screw yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good analogy. Last question here. Uh, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at an early stage technology company? I think for the most part, it's everything internal and operational is really the finance function. So, you know, we touched on this briefly a little bit before. Finance is not just finance. If, you know, if that's what the company wanted, they would hire just a you know, maybe, you know, even a controller, depending on how big the company is, is still touching all the operations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for all the finance professionals out there who are thinking about it, it is, you know, I don't really care what the title says. You're going to be doing operations. Um, right. <laughs> like, there's just no way around it. <laughs> so it's critical. You need to have, a, you know, you're not going to have a lot of experience in HR if you're coming out of uh, a firm. Uh, you're not going to have experience dealing with, like, culture and a lot of people who are very different skill sets compared to an accounting firm as, far, as an example. But mm-hmm. that, to me, is the most critical because the finance people fill a skill set at a company that doesn't exist otherwise. 
like there's a lot of people who are developers with comp sci backgrounds. You get a lot of people who have gen, like you know general business and some of the other stuff. But uh, chances are you are if you're going into a startup, you are the first sophisticated finance hire that they have, and they're yeah. looking for you to to kind of write the ship and and make sure that they can scale appropriately and you know giving over the keys of the kingdom and and, and basically right. passing on the stress of making sure that like you know. When you come in, the expectation is that they don't have to worry because you have it all under control. And I think that's the responsibility you have to be willing to accept. Well said. All right. So now what I'd like to do is uh, hop into a quick fire round. So the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions and you'll have 10 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? That sounds good. All right. Let's do it. So number one, your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related. Uh. I use uh, Saster a lot. Saster, okay, good resource. Um, the next one, your favorite productivity hack. Ooh. Uh, uh, this one's a hard one. I know. Yeah, I use. <laughs> I actually use Trello a lot for, uh, for for productivity. Okay, so you're you're big on the the boards and being able to move stuff around? Yeah, it just helps me not to, to drop anything. Again, too many moving parts that often. So just throw everything onto the boards to then make sure I have a visual of what's going on in different stages. Makes sense. And one last one. What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? Probably the cash wreck and to do this for the next day. <laughs> <laughs> cash is king, right? So you always got to keep close tabs on that. It is, you know, no matter what's going on and all the other metrics with, you know, whether it's CACs and everything else, it's like cash is absolutely everything and you better have an, a good handle on what's going on. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Eugene, for coming on The Backbone. It was really fun chatting with you, being on the advisory side now and, and back in the CFO gig and um, when to think about fundraising. That was uh, really, really insightful stuff. So thanks again. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye.